This episode dedicated to Yvonne Baker. Thanks for giving us Tony. This is episode 203 of Gaming NBS coming to you Wednesday, August 8th, 2018. Right. Brett, how are you doing, man? Whoo, uh, not bad. I've got a long weekend because uh, for some bizarre reason, my company has Monday off. So I'm going to sit back, read more stuff, maybe shoot some more boat arrows in my backyard and uh, do nothing tomorrow. It'll be nice. How about you, Sean? Well, maybe maybe you need to read that Invisible Sun and finally understand what that game's all about, Brett, because it's been like, what, a month now? I've been t- <laughs> in my copious spare time, which I have none of, cracking into bits and pieces at a time. If somebody saw my, Sean's alluding to my most recent uh, community post in Google Plus. I don't know what you're talking about, man. Uh-huh. Where I went, ugh, I don't know what I'm thinking about this yet. And I think this is the perfect, Sean and I have said this before on the podcast, and I'm like, you know what, I'm going to have to go grab one of the APs, either the um, the video stuff or a regular old school podcast, and just listen to how people are running it. And if it is as... If it's what I think it is, then I'll be disappointed. If it's not, then I'll be super happy. It's not the same thing. So anyway, we'll see what we'll see what we do. I've still got more reading to do, and uh, yeah, I think I've uh, I'll do some AP work too, just to get dig into it a bit. I see. <sighs> Let's see, game hole cons coming. So that's still happening. Duh. Um, GameOcon.com. If you haven't heard us talk about this a million times, apparently you just get past the announcements, and get right to random encounter, which is legit. Uh, Evercon, Evercon.org, still happening. Um, things are out there. And what's this I hear about Mr. Pemberfoot? What happened to him? Pemberfoot, man, he got uh, he got into a car accident. Somebody smoked. Somebody smoked him. It, wow. You know, it is the month of getting smoked in cars and motorcycles. <laughs> I was going to say, a year ago this time, someone tried to kill Sean. And a year ago now, apparently they're working their way to our listeners. So, if you're a listener of this podcast, be on your guard. Next August, <laughs> it could be you. That's right. Seriously, but- Pember- Pemberfoot, man, get well soon. I hope you are fine and um, you recover fully. Yes, and if you we if you got into an accident in August or will get into an accident in August uh, and we're not aware of it, Get well, and, and try not to get into one. Yeah, if you plan to, hey, hey, here's a preemptive get well. There's that's a good way to go. Yeah, that's right. Seriously though, Pemberfoot, man, that sucks. That really, really sucks. <sighs> good lord. Yeah. Anything else new uh, for you? Anything crazy? Um, um, I don't think so. No. Okay, then let's go on to random encounter. Encounter that is of randomness. Let's see here. <clears throat> what we got? Oh, Crimfans starts us off. He comments about suboptimal characters. On suboptimal characters, there's a really big difference between a character who's not 90% plus optimized and a really hopeless case. As you, note, as you guys noted, attribute dependence is a lot of it. But a lot of times it really varies by game system. Fighters in 2E illustrated this very well. Second edition AD&D. Um, they were incredibly stat-dependent in that a lower-strength character would really struggle compared to a fighter with exceptional strength. It wouldn't be terrible uh, if the fact that non-exceptional strength character would just get outshined round by round by the exceptional strength fighter to the point where it's 
there's often a good bit of, why am I even here going on? <laughs> Many other stats didn't matter nearly so much, though. <coughs> Excuse me. If you're playing fairly low to medium level, the difference between a wizard with intelligence 14 and intelligence 18 wasn't nearly so massive. 5e is better in this regard, at least for the most part. Being a bit um, off one, being a bit off one of your stats isn't the end of the world. If you have a 16 in your prime stats, you're usually going to hold your own in the party. That said, I often feel that the player who is really into the Rudy type character uh, is often is uh, is often a weak link in terms of things I tend to find fun and or maybe kind of a drama addict. Oh, interesting. So I'm going to read that again because I totally butchered it. So that said, says Crimpan, I often feel that the player who's really into the quote-unquote Rudy type of character is often a weak link in terms of things I tend to find fun and or maybe kind of a drama addict. Their interesting and flawed character often seems to be an excuse to draw attention to themselves while claiming the moral high ground of really role-playing. Of course, I don't want to play with someone who's a, whose total goal is... is uh, Oh, is, is excuse me. Whose total goal is a character op and perfectly optimized character tactics either. Um, so for me, some character op and tactical optimization is good. But if the focus, if it's the focus, that's not so good. It's really important to have an idea at the table, and you and uh, and what. Oh, good God, I can't read today. It's really important to have an idea of the table you're at and want to be at. Oh, good Lord, I cannot read. Oh, and he says, uh, Brett, no sheephead. What the heck? Seriously, at least you deer hunt. Well, thank you, Grim fan. <laughs> Oh, and I apologize. I totally butchered that entire very nice email you sent us. But you are right, and I think, Sean, I tried to call that out last episode when it comes down to statistics and stuff. Depending on the game system you're in, you know, using D&D as kind of the um, standard everybody is at least vaguely aware of, some versions of it, stats matter a hell of a lot more than they did in others. And, you know, again, other game systems, it will, it will vary what, what suboptimal or a hopeless character would look like. So, cool. Sean, you good with that? Anything you want to say? No, but I appreciate the fact that Crimfan uh, sounds like he's he's played Sheepshead before. Well, now you know who to partner up with at the next Sheephead tournament. Well, that's the thing, Brett. You don't really partner up with them. You just play with them, and then they become your partner through play. See, I don't know any of this crap. Shoskoff. <laughs> Jack of Diamonds, buddy. All right. Over to you. All right. Uh, just a short one from Christian Serrano. Uh, he wanted to clarify on classes for Wayne Finder's Guide to Eberron. So we mentioned about that being launched. And then I said, hey, man, where are all the classes? And my knucklehead self should have thought, like, there was really only one or two in Eberron that really came out of it. Um, many more more, many more many races than classes. So he said, thanks for the shout-out to Manifest Zone. Woot, woot. Just to clarify, as the mechanics are adjusted and added, including the Artificer, it will be added to the Wayfinder's Guide to Eberron. The Artificer is the only class introduced in Emberon. Um, the Mage Rite in 3.5 was an NPC class. So there you go. Wow, I'm glad, we had, I'm glad we had some actual Eberron experts to be able to talk to us about Eberron. That was nice. <laughs> I mean, some real fans were able to speak up. <laughs> That's what sure. you get for picking that, on my card playing chops, you dicks. Is that a dig? Okay, all right. Well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> So yeah, <laughs> no, that's a, that's good. I didn't, you know, that one of the cool things about uh, the digital media, uh, like the way uh, the Wayfinder's Guide to Abron and other things like that, is as every once in a while, I mean, if you bought anything off a of drive-through RPG or uh, RPG Now or whatever, you'll get like that. Hey, the author has updated something, and they made a tweak, they made an adjustment or whatever. And that's pretty cool. And that's um, that's what I'm hearing. They're going to be able to pull here from the Artificer, so that's pretty damn slick. Yeah, very cool. 
All right. Um, Michael Phillips comments on less than optimal stats. Have you read Gary's discussion on general gaming stats on the DMG? Page 11. Generating. Generating? Did I say? All right. You know what? I'm not reading this. You're reading it. I can't read tonight. Go. Have you read Gary's discussion on generating stats from the DMG, Dungeon Master's Guide, page 11? And uh, it's been a while. So he quotes from there. As AD&D is an ongoing game of fantasy adventuring, it is important to allow participants to generate a viable character sheet character of the race and profession which he or she desires. While it is possible to generate some fairly playable characters by rolling 3d6, there is often an extended period of attempts at finding a suitable one due to quirks of the dice. Furthermore, these rather marginal characters tend to have short life expectancy, which tends to discourage new players, as does having to make do with some character of a race and or class which he or she really can't or won't identify with. Character generation then is a serious matter, and it is recommended that the following systems be used. Four alternatives are offered for player characters. Damn, that has been a long time since I've read that. That is interesting. Yeah. Because we'll often say, oh, 3D6, clearly, back in the day. Right. But then by the time we get to the AD&D DMG, um, we're like, hey, there's some alternates and other things. Now, granted, back then, <clears throat> it's, <laughs> it sounds like, oh, my God, we have this wonderful technology called a point-by system. Woo! But that, I mean, everything was generated with dice, and everything was, you were supposed to use dice to do all these things. So this that statement, I mean, that's why we have 46, drop the lowest, take the highest three. It's because of the quirks of the dice, as Gary alludes to. So interesting. Thank you, Michael. I had not I had not even thought to go back to look at that. That is very interesting. Some of those game I mean, some game designers' opinions and tastes and things, you can see how they've changed, right? A person who wrote something at a certain point, then later on in their career may completely disavow what they <laughs> had originally thought or whatever. But I like this. Uh this is kind of a good little glimpse into that. Thank you. Very good stuff. You good, man? Right. Yeah, let's go into the main topic. All right, Brett. So we started talking about a little bit about Eberron, Way, uh, Wayfinder's Guide and all that stuff. And Sean and I have occasionally jabbered on about how we love different settings and so forth. And I thought, you know, there's... Sometimes you like a setting simply because of the intellectual property that goes along with it. You like the setting for multiple reasons. And I thought, you know, we would talk a little bit about settings, campaign uh, settings that we've liked, um, ones we may have been disappointed in, and what we look for. What makes you like a thing or not like a thing? And I'm not – I, I want to kind of um, – Sean, I'm thinking about steering away from, like, the homebrew concept. Any you've made, I've made, or, you know, somebody made up. Let's talk about something official that's out there. Fair? That's fair, man. All right. So, Sean, do you have, of all the game systems, do you have a favorite setting? I would have to say that Eberron is one of my favorite settings. Better than Star Wars? I would say, yeah, kind of. Well, it's that's a tough, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. I would say yes, just because, yeah. I don't know. Okay, we'll dive in a little bit. One of my favorites is uh, Middle Earth role playing. <gasps> They're ones by Iron Crown. That was one of my favorites of all time. And you, when is the last time you have played anything in Middle Earth? Um, 
last, oh, let's see, earlier this year. No, it was last year. Last year I ran a Middle Earth game. I see. Yep. Well, isn't that special? <laughs> Now, so let's let, let's talk a little do you bit have about the five e. Do you have the five e books? Um, I heard they're really good. They're supposed to be really good. Yeah. So one of the reasons I like the Iron Crown stuff is that, and maybe when I talk Cause about this, because you're old, because you're old, I'm old, mostly old. Um, but nostalgia, <laughs> nostalgia. No, I love the setting. And when I read through the different books and different set pieces, when they came out with the Minds of Moria book or uh, the Dead Marshes and you know, Hillman of the Trollshaws and all that good stuff. Every time I read one of those supplement books, I felt like I was uncovering more lore to the world. So the lore was really cool. And it gave me pieces of the Middle-Earth area that I could adventure that my players were not 100% set on. I mean, it, it could have been Rivendell, it could have been Hobbiton, it could have been Bree. <coughs> Excuse me, it could have been one of those type of places or Lake Town or something. But I was able to pick something and say, hey... This is in Angmar's uh, location. Hey, this is the Trollshaws. This is this section. This is north of here or south of there or whatever. There were different components of Middle-earth that uh, Tolkien would mention in the in the traditional canon of The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. And I got to explore those pieces. And the way they were written, even Moria itself, it was only touched on um, when they went through it, spoilers, um, in Fellowship of the Ring, and when you re- when I read the rest of it, it like, oh, wow, it really opened up more options and ideas and so on. So it really felt like I could do something new and potentially innovative in an IP space that had kind of been done to death in a way, right? Because I didn't want to just reenact The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. I wanted to do something different, but in that same space where people understood how the world functioned and so on. So that was one of the reasons I liked it. So that said... Is there a thing about Ebron that makes you say that is why I like it better? Is there? I'll say that again, Brett. Is there a component of Ebron that makes you that like for me that that piece of the Middle Earth setting? Is there a piece of the Ebron setting that really sings to you? Is it just because it's unique? Does it feel well built, different? Do you just feel at home there? Huh. I think yes. Yep, that's it. Yeah. It is uh <laughs> nice. Thanks. You know, Eberron is is an interesting one for me because um I don't remember what it was before Eberron. It hasn't Eberron hasn't been around like Greyhawk or Blackmoor or some of the first edition campaigns when specifically talking about D&D, right? Yeah. Um it's not Birthright, Planescape, any of that stuff. Dark Sun. Mm-hmm. There's a lot to choose from. Oh, there's a ton within the TSR slash Wizards of the Coast space. There's a lot. Forgotten Realms. Oh, shit, tons of stuff, dude. Yeah. All the world, Mistra, blah, 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 blah. Right. Yeah. And I have to say that I was a little adverse to it at, at first. Okay. Yep. Um, it was a little more outside of your typical fantasy setting. Some people, even to this day, think it's still very, very high magic, which is not necessarily the case. Okay. You know, and so I don't know how I got turned on to it. I remember they were having the competition. So for for those of you that are not in the know on the Eberron piece, Wizards of the Coast, way back in 
God, I don't remember when it was. It was a 3035 era, though, is when they're coming yeah. back and saying, hey, we want a new world. I think it was 2001, maybe? Was Something like that. Early? Yeah. Oh, no, it was that. 2000. Doesn't matter. 2010? I don't remember. Anyways, yes, they had a competition where people could propose a new campaign setting, and then it, you know the winner would get you know ten thousand dollars and get their setting published. And um, there were three people, three folks that kind of came in in the end. Rich Burlew was one of them, some from Order of the Stick, and then Keith Baker, um, who created Eberron. And still is very, very, very uh, involved with that. You can find out more about Keith. He's got a blog. I think it's like, uh, so he's got a blog. We'll put it in the notes. But anyways, I remember he him getting it, and they pitched it, and they were like, here's the Eberron setting. Here it is in the hardback book. And, um, you know, there's lightning rail. There's, you know, ever-burning torches for Wait, and you claim that's low magic huh well so it is no, because i guess no, well how, how do you define high magic common every day always used uh, hmm i think people would argue with you on that well yeah they can they're wrong but they're, they're welcome to argue with me well Brent. i'm kidding i'm kidding that's not that that's neither here nor there but so you loved, you like the setting. Is it was it because it's, it seems different enough to you? That's not the same, same, same. Yeah, I have to say that I think I like it because it's not like Forgotten Realms. It's not like Greyhawk. It's not like Blackmore. It's not like Game of Thrones. It's not, you know, all those have very similar elements, and so does Eberron. By, mm-hmm. by you know, by by no means is it completely. I mean, you're not playing modern day es- espionage with guns it's not playing scion or whatever but it's it's got elements that i think are different enough to spice up your fantasy game plus the bend for bend to it is more pulp noir which really isn't emphasized in a lot of the older settings and some would argue that the system that it was created for wasn't really I mean, being pulp and noir, you don't equate that to D and D, in and the rules, where like Christian Serrano ported a lot of the Aberrant Savage stuff Worlds, to man. Savage Worlds, yeah. because that's the system that helps it. So you know, he believes that Aberrant was really created for a system like Savage Worlds, which I I tend to agree with him, although I don't play Savage Worlds Aberrant. Um, but anyways, that's I could go on. So another setting that I really enjoyed setting, and not necessarily all the mechanics that go into it, so we're just talking setting, was the original World of Darkness setting that White Wolf put out. Um, the, that one, it it grew and changed constantly. Every time you get a new book, there was always new things that would come out about the setting or whatever. Some of it was horribly contradictory or whatever, but it was, for whatever reason, it really, at the time, really sang to me from complexity and just depth and just crazy levels of um that whole gothic horror thing um gothic punk horror thing was really really cool um i i have to admit i do carry a lot of that with me it's probably probably one of the first <coughs> manifestations of uh, my love of lower magic really came out 
in that type of game set. Now, even though <laughs> vampires were incredibly fucking powerful, but the setting was kind of this gritty street level stuff for the most part, and that's that was the thing I really liked. So, Sean, did you speaking of the you know stuff we liked? Um, have you ever picked up a setting and went, "Oh, this is gonna rock," and then went, "Oh my god, this was terrible." Uh, I'm sure I have. I'm trying to think of a particular one. You want me to give you a minute? I've got one. Go ahead. Dragonlance. Um, I, I loved Dragonlance books when I was a kid. <laughs> loved them. And the AD&D Dragonlance book hardcover was the first AD&D hardcover book I ever bought. I borrowed my buddies for That was mine because I was going to, this was great. Dragonlance, man, fucking yeah. The Dragonlance hardcover book. Yeah. Was the first hardcover AD and D book. A D and D book you ever bought? Seriously? Yep. Mm-hmm. That's you never bought the PHB before that or DMG? No, I had I had access to those through buddies of mine. Oh. So we had so like first three, one you bought was three, four, five. Ones. Yeah. And huh. I read it and went, This sucks. I just I was incredibly disappointed. Um everything in that book. Um and maybe this was a case when I should have went and got the all the series, all the modules, I should have dug them out from whatever game store I could find them in. This was like pre-Ebay, so, I mean, if they weren't in front of me in Wausau, Wisconsin, I had nothing. I couldn't find them. Right? You had to come to Madison, man. <clears throat> I should have. The big city. <laughs> yeah, the huge city of Madison. Anyway. With like five game stores, man. <laughs> no, yeah. But I, I just remember being drastically disappointed, and even now I, I've, I'll thumb through it periodically and go, Ugh. It didn't have uh, much in the way of, it didn't like compile anything. It didn't say, hey, this is more about the world, and None of the character components or pieces of it were any fun. I read it, and it just fell flat. And then I tried to play it, and I'm like, no, no, I'll, I'll make this fun. It'll be a good time. And it never seemed to work. It never, never seemed to work. It may well have been the way I did it, but when I got the book, basically I was coming to that world after the novels, Yeah, and it didn't carry over well. And maybe had I played the original Dragonlance Adventure series, and used novels to supplement that knowledge, it would have been fine. But the way I came at it, it just fell flat. Did not work at all. Huh. I think, I wonder if I still have that book. I don't know if I do. I know I, I do. I, I thought I did. And I didn't think it was that bad. I think it, it kind of rounded out some of the Knights of Salamnia a little bit. It just seemed bleh to me. It just I was just disappointed. I was expect hmm. for whatever reason I had this huge expectation of this tome of great Dragonlance knowledge and bleh. Who did nothing. it? Do you remember? <clears throat> probably Wise Nickman. I don't remember. Yeah, I would have to say it was probably both of them. I can pull it off my shelf some point time. Here. My guess is they probably. I mean, Tracy's done awesome modules. <clears throat> oh, totally. Tracy Hickman. I mean, he for folks that aren't in the know, he did Ravenloft and he hmm. did Pharaoh and maybe phoned it in on this one. I don't know. Well, maybe he's not campaign setting guy. Quite possibly. Have you had one that now? Now that I threw that at you, have you had one that steps up to you like, "Hey, this setting was like that," or that you've even played in? You know, somebody had one and you played in this setting and was just kind of meh. He's staring at his bookshelf. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if anybody's really disappointed me on the same level as you have encountered and can put your finger on it. In that capacity, I mean, I I would say that I have some that don't interest me or have kind of been like, meh. Like, so, um, so, so, so lay one on me. What do you got? You know, I haven't been a big Forgotten Realms fan. And now, in all fairness to all the Realmsers out there, 
you know, I haven't, I had the box set. I do still have the box set from second edition. Second edition? First edition. Isn't that the gray one? Isn't that the gray one? Well, there there was a uh, first edition and a second edition uh, box set. So I have the, I think I have the, this is the guy with the riding on the The horse. horse. Yeah. Yeah. And there was a, if I remember correctly, and somebody out there is way smarter than this on me, there was a first and a second edition version of that. Slightly different. Well, I, I think, I think I got the first edition because I, second edition was kind of a, I think that's when I started trickling out of the hobby. Oh, okay. Okay. So I had Forgotten Realms. I bought it because it was Forgotten Realms, man. It was like one of the kind of bigger settings that had come out other than Greyhawk box set. Um, shoot, it might even be Greyhawk, actually. I mean, the Greyhawk box set I had bought when I was a kid, and I had that map on my wall, and I remember moving like from room to room in my house. Like If I switched rooms with my sister or whatever the case was, that map would go with me, and I'd tack it up on the wall, and it would fall because it's so big. It had ripped corners. <laughs> and I still have that map, and I love the map, and I remember everything on the map, but the when I opened up the setting and read through it, nothing struck me as like, wow, this is so super cool. This is so interesting. And maybe because back then I wasn't really into settings necessarily because we were really just running modules every week. Yeah. Cause if you go into, if you try to grab a set, if you are playing module to module and there's a level of campaign consistency that you don't care about for whatever reason, the setting is almost neither here nor there because you're just playing D&D if that's the game system in whatever, right? Or if yeah, you're well, playing... none, of, none of us cared where we were from. We were never really in the know of where we were. Ah. It was just, hey, you know, you're going to go out to um, Hamlet. So, you know, you take, you, now you're in Hamlet. Great, sweet. Yeah, okay. No, I get it. You travel, you travel some more, and you come to a small town. Great. What's the town, name of the town? The town's name is Hamlet. Sweet. Do I know anybody there? As a matter of fact, you do. Like, it just never... A very, now it it's something... Hamlet, now, could, Hamlet yeah. could have been in anything. Yeah, it's much like the Dungeon Crow Classics adventures now, right? Right. Where are you? I'm at the, uh, you know, the, the, the Green Wizard, the Invisible Whatever, the, you know, Fane of the Whatever Lord. Like, oh, shit. All right, here we are, you know. Yeah. South of you is the other place. North is the other is a, yet another spot. You know, you, you're just there for the thing. So okay. Yeah, you're you're got to go off to the Emerald Enchanter's <clears throat> castle. Yep. Up on the hill. All right. I'm in. Makes sense. Like How it. do you approach? I don't know. Is there a road? Yeah, you can take the road. There is a path. Sounds good. I, my drawing to settings was because every time I read a setting uh, or even a game system, I look at it and I say, can I make a campaign out of this? Because to me, if I read a game and I go, wow, this is really for one-shots, eh. That was my biggest fear about Dungeon Crawl Classics when I first read it and heard about it until we talked to Judge Jen ages back, I think like episode 70-something. Um, I was, everything that Sean had told me, I'm like, oh, Jesus, I don't know. There's no real setting. It's going to be, oh, my God. But, no, it's it's totally campaign worthy. I've run a campaign. Absolutely can do it. Um, but I think there's, hmm, I, I think something, I mean, you, you like Star Wars, right? Yeah, I like Star Wars. So why do you like Star, why do you like the Star Wars setting for an RPG? Um, because I think I like the space opera-ish of it, and it's not science fiction. Oh, okay. A little so fast, it's very, faster and looser than faster, Star Trek. looser. It's got a little pulpy to it. It's got a pulp, pulp kind of feeling to it. It's big. Um, there's a lot of 
references you can make so you can still kind of associate yourself with the world without it spoiling everything. Now, everybody out, some people are out there going to be like, what? What are you talking about, man? There's these canon and the movies and all this crap. Like, nobody wants the adventure and shit that's already happened. And I get, I get that. But, you know, if you're, if you picture something that's described in the Star Wars world and it's maybe an imperial base, you can, in your brain, know what it looks like. Ah, yeah, yeah. Well, everything's it's much, much metal, like, black floors, you know, yes. everything's clean and, uh-huh. you know, it's, you know, people marching around in hallways and formation and little stupid droids skittering around. You know, some of the other, before we get into the next video, I do want to say the, um, almost every superhero setting I've ever picked up. I was a huge Marvel fan. I like DC as well. Every time I've tried to play a superhero RPG, I can't stand it. I don't, Why? and I don't, I don't know. I can't tell if that one is setting based or if it's just the way the setting comes out in the rule system or what. But I've never enjoyed a superhero RPG. That's a different problem, probably for another podcast. But anyway, so Sean, all that said, <clears throat> you decide you want to buy a new setting. You're looking for something, or you hear about a new setting. Do you have a certain criteria in your head of like, hey, I want a certain type of fluff, flavor. I want more of a do-it-yourself approach to this setting. I want fucking packed with rules for a very specific system. Do you want a generic setting? You know, do you want, you know, more lore than you can shake a stick at? How do you, what are you looking for? What are you looking for in a system, Sean? It's like a dating website now. What are you system looking for? System or campaign? S- setting. Setting, 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 sorry, setting. Yeah. What are you looking for in a setting? Oh. You're going on a date. You're on, you're on, you know, settings.com. You're looking for a new one. <laughs> Swipe right. Swipe, swipe right, swipe left, swipe. There's a swipe lot of right. swiping, swipe. a lot of swiping left, a lot of Damn swiping it. left. Yeah, um, I think that's the way you do it. I don't know. That's what I've heard. Lord knows. I don't remember. Oh, uh, I don't. You know, I think they're. It's tough nowadays because there's a lot of what people would refer to as D and D heartbreakers, right? You talking settings or systems? Well, it kind of goes hand in hand because some people build the 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 game around a setting. Yeah, well, absolutely. Um, so when you say D and D heartbreaker, you're talking about the hey, I built my version of D and D that I've always right. wanted to play. Right. House rules, house rules, as far as the eye can see. Right. It's all about. Retro clones and house rules. Yeah, retro everywhere. clones. Yeah, everywhere. I mean, God, there's so many. Um, and but some that, are very, very good. Some are very see, good. I always look at that as more of a system more than setting. I've never thought of a setting heartbreaker like it that. It is, but. it is, it is. Okay, so you're right. I digress. But, like, what makes something a unique setting in what I'm looking for? And that is because sometimes I'm very, very traditional. Okay, which can be a little boring at times. Like, oh yeah, I need some goblins and trolls and all. Well, let's the let's think about it this way. Y- you like to play a lot of uh, prepackaged adventures, modules, books, things that you're going to buy like that. If you yeah, go yeah. looking, if you yeah. go looking for a new setting, are you looking for a setting that you know full well is already, quote unquote, fully supported with pre-published adventures, or are you looking for a do-it-your-own-adventure setting? Well, everybody knows that I like to get something off the shelf, read it, and then present it. Yeah, I mean, are you doing that simply out of habit? Is that what you want to do? 
it is out of habit, but it's also, I personally think that if I were to start my own setting, it would be a rabbit hole or I wouldn't want to put an, a ton of energy into it or I would feel as though my creativity is not to the level that it would need to be when I could just get a book off the shelf, read a couple areas, understand some of the groups and the power the, the power groups that are, and just go with that. Okay, so if a setting had you could do you could do with a do-it-yourself setting insofar as the setting have, has enough meat to it with enough adventure seeds and plot hooks and ideas that could say, hey, here's the you know, Eberron overview and types of adventures for Eberron. You could be like, yeah, I could run that. I could run, you know, that thing where they, where they you know, try to do whatever. I don't know. I don't know Eberron very well, obviously. So you could do something like that. Or I guess what I'm saying is that if the setting is designed well enough that there's enough meat for you to chew into – that you can make your own adventures. You're not adverse to doing that. No. So if they don't publish, if they don't publish a level one through fifty book, you don't care. That's a good point. I would feel comfortable running a Star Wars game and coming up with a Star Wars scenario without having to buy a, scenar- a scenario because there isn't the well, there is in the FFG. There's a few hardbacks, but I mean, even just running Star Wars for you guys, you guys would go off a little bit. Yeah. So I would have to kind of bring it back or not bring it back or just kind of adapt to which way you went. And in Star Wars, it wasn't going to be – it wasn't too difficult of a task. But I didn't have to create all the world that came with it. I didn't have to like, well, how do planets work and how does time work and how does like, you know, flying through space work? Um, and is there like FTL and warp or is it more Star Wars or – Maybe it's like eclipse phase or whatever the case is. Um, or maybe it's like, uh, you know, altered carbon type science fiction, whatever. Like, um, what's, you know, and if I take, I've, I've been also in between reading Invisible Sun stuff. I've got my, my Midterland stuff. Yep. So by Mr. Glenn Seal, which is a, Glint, well, any award winning, any award winning Glenn Seal. That's right. And the Midterlands crew. So, anyhow, uh, reading through that stuff, one of the pieces that I really enjoy about that is because, uh, shameless plug for Mr. Seal, um, one of the reasons I like it is because in pretty short order, it tells you this is how it works, this is the way the world is set up, this is why it's green, this is why this functions this way. And, you know, 20 pages in, you're like, okay, I get it. And I, I feel like I'm, you know, after after that, it just it kind of all builds on itself. So to what you're, to your point is that if the, <laughs> I want to, you're wanting a setting that has, you don't want to have to come up with, Who's the king? You know, who's the space queen? Who's, you know, who's the head of the CIA? Who's running what black ops group? Blah, blah, blah. You want that stuff out there already, or at least a good chunk of it. Yeah, to some degree, which is unfortunate because I I don't think a lot of it has to come into play, but I think in my brain, I want to know what that is in case the, the situation presents itself. You know, that's interesting because so... I'll, I'll throw a piece in here and I'll go to something else because I don't want to forget this chunk. So you look at like uh, Knights Black Agents. Yes. The Conspiramid, it's not filled out for you. It says, hey, build your own. Now, granted, you could go buy this Lasny Quartet or Dracula Dossier and it does this stuff for you. But, and I know you like that game, but I think if you, the other, the other component that you said there is having, 
having the extra lore, having the deeper information in there, it, even if you don't need it, you want it in case you do need it or would feel the urge to somebody were to ask you that bizarre off the wall question like, hey, what's in this space on the map, right? Right. You want to be able to say, oh, that's the Grand, Grand Duchy of Karmikos and that's where the Orcs of Thar have done this thing or this has come forward and blah, blah, blah. You want to be able to at least give a high level overview of that stuff because you want a level of mastery. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> see, I'm such a. I, I'm guess. I'm guess. I'm, t- I'm not trying yes. to put words in your mouth. Here. I'm just saying. I'm throwing stuff at you to see if if it's like if it sticks. So part of it that is very d- like d- dead on, and then there's part of me that's that wants to erase all that stuff so that the players aren't always in the know. So that's the kind of like we're all over the place on this topic, and that's okay. But one of the things that I have reservations about is what you just pointed out. A character's going to point to a place on the map. They're going to look at a person and want to know like what their affiliation is or what's over there on that piece of the map. And not knowing what that is off the top of my head can make me nervous. But at the same time, I think to myself, I get tired of players knowing more about the world than I than do. me, right? <laughs> then I'd rather just like there's a part of me that's you are going to be tasked by the king or queen to go and discover a new world. Here's the ship, here's your resources, go and have a good one. And then you sail off or you go through a portal or whatever that is. And when you arrive on the other side, player characters, you don't know where the shit, where you are, you don't know what's at play. You don't have any idea of how the land is mapped. Zero. So you love you love a level of player obscurity, right? Where the players can't know, <laughs> but you have absolute mastery. Well, <laughs> you know, there, the, there's value in that, dude. There's total value when people yeah. come in brand new, fresh. Like, wow, what is this thing, right? And sure. you, yeah, that there's there's a sense of wonder that comes with that. You know, that's part of the the lure of a DCC game well you're, you're it, in that you're in this town <laughs> and some croaking god is there you're like what the fuck is the croaking god who are these people worshiping what the fuck is going on and you've got to take care of the problem well that is so that is part that's part of me and then the other part of me is okay you're an eberron so everybody should know these standard things for eberron and so to me a player's guide to a particular world Sometimes I think is just too robust. There's ah. too there's too much info. You know, maybe you know, maybe you know of certain things, but you may not. They may not even be true because there's certain things that we even just as us in current time, we are we we have perceptions, and some of them aren't always true, and they're maybe generated by things we've heard or pe- stories we've things alligators we've heard. In the sewers. Thing, alligators yeah. in the sewers. Yeah, yeah, things, right? things okay. we've heard, things we've seen, and whatever the case is, right? Whether it's true or not. And so part of me is kind of like, it, man, it, it just this encompasses so much because you start saying, well, I want to run an espionage game, but I want to do it X-Files. But if I tell them it's X-Files, then it gets, you know, then it takes away that. But if I don't, then it's a bait and switch, goddamn. it. That's exactly right, man. So there are. So when I say, well, I want to run Eberron, and this is what you need to know about Eberron, they would go, oh, I'm going to go buy the campaign setting about Eberron. And then they're going to know about 
all the lands and all the politics and all the groups and all this other crap. And you could have a subject matter expert on that campaign setting. Then I'm like, that's way too much. I don't want them to know all that crap. So I'm going to send them to Zendrick. You know, where's Zendrick? Well, that's a big continent to the south. That's just, it's, it's, it used to be the land of the giants. Okay. And it's like the new frontier. Well, I mean, not new, but it is kind of the, the great frontier. And so when you land there at Stormreach, you know, and you're going to go venturing off into Zendrick, you can make it your own because it's kind of like not as outlined. I mean, there is a book on Zendrick, but it's not as fleshed out, right? There isn't. So if anybody shows up at your game yeah. and knows more about the setting than you do, I'm gonna punch one, him. one, no. they get punched, two, they get kicked out of the game, or three, you go, fine, fuck it, you're on the moon. What? Fuck you, you're on the moon now. <laughs> Portal, you're on the moon. That's it. <laughs> I don't know if I'd go that far, but <laughs> close. Zendrick, it's across the. <laughs> well, there's Send them across the ocean. Fuck those guys. There's something to be said about also kind of the intimidation factor when you have somebody at the table. Like you know, if you had Wayne Humphrey at your table for Star Wars, now Wayne would probably you know he'd he'd lie low. Well, he would sn- he would snicker under his breath every time I did something stupid because you couldn't help it because I had no dick about Star Wars. You know, compared to him, for God's sakes. Yeah, two ends of the scale. Yeah. Well, we've talked about IP and knowledge and whatever, and I think an interesting one of the reasons that I think people get into building their own setting, and we've talked about this when we talked about gaming and IPs, and we've just randomly, periodically had this topic. But um, one of the other reasons we like to look at new settings, one of the things that drew me to the Midderlands is because it's different enough. I know not everybody around me knows about it. Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerers of Hyperborea. I know a lot of people know about it, but I don't know. None of my gaming group has ever played in it. But how much do they need to know? Like, how much do they you don't, think? They, they, don't, they don't need a lot. I've got, I've got the PDF, so I've hacked out bits and pieces. Go, here, here's some shit you know, right? So I can give them, or I work myself up to, like, 10 bullet points. I lay out a bunch of crap, and then they just kind of bust into it. Um, but... One of the things that draws me, I guess what I'm saying, is one of the things that makes me want to look for another setting is, is this one my group has played before? Or is it one that we played ages ago? If I pull Greyhawk out now, every time I pull out a Greyhawk first edition setting or module or anything I would run for my group, they would be like, oh, my God, that's Zagig. Oh, gee, oh, Christ, yeah. Oh, wow, I remember the Grand Duchy, Jeff. Wow. wonder if it's still the – what's that guy, the guy, the wizard who lived in the valley, the valley of the mage? Oh, my God, valley of the mage. So everybody gets the, the cool nostalgia high, and it's still new enough to them because it's so old. They haven't been – we all used to be masters of that world ages back. Right. But now it's, it's so the, – the time difference is there. That um, oh, I couldn't remember. I wouldn't be able to remember half, like half the modules, and we were running them two or three or four times. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Yeah, but I guess there's a reason why guys like you and I are looking at different settings regularly. I look for more settings more than I look for game systems. I'll look at a game system like, wow, that's neat that it has a game system. What's the setting like? Because I want to, want to swipe the setting for shit. You know, that's I, I like I like settings more than I like game systems. I I think anyway. Now, if, well, there it's easy to get a setting and just kind of read it. Yes. As as a part of entertainment. Now, there's other people that are like, I love reading rule books and you know uh, different rules and different games. Oh yeah, which is totally cool. And I know people that do that. I'm part of that kind of team as well. It's sometimes. 
But going back to the setting, you can glean certain things from that. So like if you wanted to make your own, it would be very easy to take a lot of the pre-published stuff and just like, well, I'm going to, I'll start making mine. I'm going to have a group that caters to this king and they're going to be like the special CIA to this king and I'm going to call them this. And we've talked about that. Green Lanterns or whatever. Yeah, exactly. We've talked about that. And I mean, shit, Matt Colville has an entire (laughs) web series about, hey, take Hamlet, make it your own, build from there. You know, DCC talks about start small, build out. But it sounds like, let me go back to, let me go back to you for a second here. So you actually like to stay true to the official canon. For the most part, and if well, you you want to divert from it in a way, right? So if I'm if I'm in Ebron, I'm in Sharn, and we're there, and everybody knows so much about Sharn. This is I'm I'm guessing here, but if if the game turned into I know five things about Sharn, you don't know competition, you'd be like, fuck it, you're going across the ocean. We're going somewhere <laughs> where nobody knows your name. You don't know Sharn. Doesn't matter that you know that. But you like it feels like you want to stay within you want to stay true to the official canon or at least the official setting and all that knowledge and background, but you wanna still be able to find the places within it that are new and wondrous and interesting for the players, regardless of how much they know. I think there I am a big fan of a common ground. Okay, all right. A common ground, kind of um ground level. A lot of ground in there. Much ground. Ground level type of references because, and you know what, frankly, if I had somebody that was, you know, I know, I know about this particular area real well because I'm just a fan of that land. You know, I'm not, I'm not worried about them knowing more because maybe because they are there, their character knows that stuff. I don't have a problem with them incorporating it. But I also, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'm all over the place on this one. It's okay. It's interesting because, you know, it's much like, you know, what do you look for in a rule system? It's hard. Yeah. It's actually really hard. Rule I was, system mm. or setting? I, I'm just saying that question itself is also equally hard to me is when yes. I say setting. Yes. Because <clears throat> I look at things and I'm like, I want to have something that is, I don't necessarily need complete I don't. I love a do-it-yourself kind of approach where it lays out the setting. I've got all the right pieces and parts, and pieces and parts to me are if it's a fantasy setting, <clears throat> you know, who's the lady in charge? Who's the dude who thinks he's in charge over here? How's this set up? What's the monetary system, weather type, the big things like that? So when someone says, is it raining? And I can say, well, it's, you know, Holdfast month, so in the month of Holdfast, it clearly wouldn't be raining because it would be snowing instead, you jackals. Or, you know, I can, you know, I don't want to sound superior, but the point is I want to know that stuff so I can use flavor. I want to bring the group into it. I want to have that, those flavor aspects of it so I don't say hello, I say well met. It's a simple thing that I picked up from Meg Greenwood and many other people, Forgotten Realms and other settings have done that. But I want to be able to use different phrases and terms and if the months are named different or the, all of that stuff. So it makes the world come alive, bits and pieces. But I will then want to be able to say, well, then beyond the free city of Greyhawk lies X. And that is where you're going because uh, I use the, you know, the horrible doing blah, 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 or whatever. I want to be able to make my own adventures because that's why I like to roll my own that way. But I have no problem setting it in a existing setting, which is one of the reasons, like I said at the beginning, why I like Middle-Earth role-playing I would do everything just after the War of the Ring. <clears throat> Gandalf's gone, Bilbo's gone, Frodo's gone, all that's gone. Aragorn's on the throne, boom. 
is fourth age cleanup time. What's left? You know, what ancient evil still lives somewhere else? Or um, is there another Belrog around? Is there a yet one more sleeping dragon that needs to wake up for, to, for shock value and fun? Who's that one servant of Angmar the Witch King that has decided to try to reopen his ancient citadel? You know, you're, you're doing that stuff. And everybody gets to revel in the fact that they know these names and places and go, oh, Angmar the Witch King, oh my god, he thinks he's going to do that again? You know, people rise up and want to do something about it. But I get to roll my own in the shadow, if you will, of all those terms and phrases. So I don't need it to be incredibly complete, but I want to make sure that the there's uh, the right level, whatever that is, of flavor and fluff that I can pull up in my head and just be able to throw it at people. Like when we run Star, when you ran Star Wars, you you were able to say terms and places and things and names and races that even though I didn't know Star Wars, I still don't know Star Wars as well as you guys do. It's <laughs> it still it still speaks to me. I'm like, wow, okay, that's clearly important. You know, this is a Mandalorian, blah blah blah. Okay, I have no idea what the blah 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 is, but I know what the fucking Mandalorians are. Holy shit, they're here in force. Ah, oh, that's creepy. That's not good. Why are they here? Right? There was enough in it that even. Uh, you know, young newbie punk to Star Wars like me was able to grab onto it and go with it. So, does that does that fit your your approach as well, or my? Yeah, I think we're here? I think we're saying similar things as far okay. as points of reference are nice for players to to lean on. Deities are a big one too, right? You know, if you create a cleric and you're worshiping up a deity, you know what are what are my choices? Well, here here's a setting. There's these are all the well-known ones. Are you swearing by Krom or by Odin or by Freya or by Tyr or what are you doing? Yeah. Right. Okay. So, you know, one of the things that Eberron also brought up to me was it was interesting. I saw a couple different posts on various different social media pieces where people were <laughs> – they seemed to be viscerally angry at Wizards of the Coast didn't take the setting they liked and do something with it. I'm like – It's because Eberron's better. Than all the other ones. I, I would assume so. <laughs> <laughs> but th- it's interesting to me because some of those pieces, like my Forgotten Realms, I've said this before, when I play in the Forgotten Realms, I prefer first edition. I like the books that went with it. That's where I started with it. And I like first edition AD&D. And the setting material around that time, to me, has a different flavor than second edition and even third Bad. There were a lot of freaking books for third edition. Oh, shit ton. That's the other reason, right? The first edition stuff, to me, feels more compact and tighter. It has enough fluff and flavor and, and cool bits in it, but it has enough that also leaves me all the do-it-myself pieces where I can dive into it and make things happen because I'm not going to fight against some other canon thing. What's interesting to me is the number of people that any setting, they're like, oh, I hope they convert this thing for me. And part of <laughs> part of me is like, if you really liked Al Quadim and it was for second edition, just play second edition AD and D. Did you have fun playing that before? Yeah, and fucking play it again. You can buy the setting; they're out there. I understand. Then, it, Brett, I understand the desire to have something converted, but you don't have to convert it. Then I gotta what? convert it, man. Why? Because you can't. I, you can't use old systems. Does it hurt you, you or something? You can't. It's illegal. Oh, I see. Okay. It's, it's illegal. So the if you D and D police will come and arrest you if you are playing a a a fifth edition game with a first edition setting. Oh yeah, that's why that's why I can't play Star Frontiers anymore. I got I have that um that outstanding. Well, 
order from the courts. I can't as long that. as you understand that, Brett, you'll be fine. You keep your ass out of jail. Susan will appreciate that. I'll try. You'll be able to see your kids grow up. Have you? Do you, we've talked about some? We've talked some setting conversions before when I talk about adventures, converting adventures and stuff. I think converting adventures seems harder to me than a setting because adventures seem that's got more fiddly bits. When yeah. it comes to rules and so on. A lot of times the setting, especially the fluff pieces, if you like the Eberron setting, you know, lightning rails, ever-burning torches, and, and the other things that you mentioned, there's pieces of that you could use pretty easily in almost any variation of D&D 5e or whatever it is, I, or whatever. I, I don't think the setting itself, and when I think setting, I think, you know, who's who, what's what, major players... The fluff, the flavor, those components to me make up the setting. And that is very, very portable, which is one of the reasons why, like I say, when I look at a new game, if it comes with a setting, I'm very interested into what the setting is like. Like, I like I like the Deadlands setting. I don't like the system at all. The original Deadlands system, oh, my God, I couldn't stand it. Um, Savage Worlds version of it, the Reloaded, yeah, I could play that. You know, I don't mind Savage Worlds. It's not my go-to game, but I could play that. But the setting itself, if you cut out the system components of it, the setting is freaking cool to me and is very portable. I can take that setting and plop it just about anywhere. So I don't see a need to have an official conversion of the setting. Um, I, I, I just don't, I personally don't have a need for that. Sean, is that something that you, when you looked at it, you're like, oh, thank God it's fifth edition because I don't want to run it with 3.5. Well, Brett, actually, yeah, I was pretty excited about the fact that they were looking at Eberron to 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 kind of fire up the Eberron machine. Why was it because of you want it in five E or you want more support for the setting? Uh huh. Yep. Both, huh? Okay. Well, because you're too I mean, lazy. To, you're too lazy to do any conversions yourself. You won't write your own adventures. Okay. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> I get it. Okay, hey, okay. Hey, we're, hey, we're together now. Are you, new, are you new here? <laughs> Sorry, it's just, it's all coming back to me. Not, okay. You know, it's all, you know what it is? It's like 200 plus episodes, man, and shit is finally like, Sinking oh, in. Right. It's like all coming together, isn't it, bro? Yeah. It's like being yeah. with my wife for 14 years, like, oh, uh, if I yeah. do that, she gets mad. <laughs> I got it now. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's very similar to that. Yeah. Yeah, so seriously. it's the same, same with mine, man. 18 plus years, man. Oh, oh, I think I, I got this thing. That, so That's a hot button. That <laughs> word, that word causes screaming. That's Never. a bad word. <laughs> For those of you that are newlyweds or just starting out into the married world, this is what we are referring to is wisdom. It just takes a long time to obtain it. My, my buddy Everett and his husband Brett, we were Everett and I were complaining about something at work, and he said, "You know, doesn't matter how long you're with somebody, it still comes up every once in a while." I said, "Really? You and Brett have been together?" For, his husband's name is Brett. Like, you guys have been together a long time, longer than Susan. I goes, "Oh," he said. He said to me, "Oh, honey, I learn stuff all the time." I said, "Okay, I don't feel so bad." He goes, "No, you're fine. You're part for the course. You're fine. You can do this." I'm like, "Okay, cool. Thank you." Anyway, so back back to the back from horrible marital advice from Brett and Sean. Don't do what we say. Yeah. Um. So when you heard the Eberron thing, what, what got you the most juiced up? Was it simply because breathing life back into it? Because I think that that's a big thing. When I, Honestly, when Greyhawk came back 
in uh, 3-0 for me and and D&D. I'm like, wow, Greyhawk's back. That was cool. And then they did official stuff with it, and that was neat. That was the, the cooler part for me. Was, I think it, it, yeah. I think there's a combination of things. It's it's the fact that it's going to get some support to some degree, right? They're already talking about twelve adventures set aside for Adventurers League. Yep. I actually posted on Twitter. I'm like, I may actually start running Adventurer League modules because it's a setting you like. Because it's a setting I enjoy, and I think that it may be fun, and it and it gives me more knowledge of what they're doing with the campaign and some of the nuances of it. And I as long as I'm, nobody shows up at your AL game that knows more about everyone than you. Because well, if they do, yeah, I guess. they're they're done. Yeah, well, <laughs> sorry, yeah. Uh, so that's one of the things and one of the reasons. And uh, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of people that are going to discover it. They're going to have that, you know, wonderment. I think it's also newer, man. Like Forgotten Realms, Birthright, Greyhawk, Blackmore. Birth, you can't list Birthright, dude. I, I knew three guys who played it, and one of them I happen to know. I just have is, to say I, it. I only know vicariously through Matt, is Matt Colville. I don't even know the guy. <laughs> He's the only person I've ever heard, apart from one other dude I know, openly talk about, oh, I ran Birthright forever. I didn't know anybody else who did that. That's just some of the that shit is just old. Got it. Okay. Like, you can, you know, and I know people that are probably still running those games, like, I started in 1980, and I got the same campaign. Man, holy shit, good on you. Not me, not this guy. Okay. I don't think, I don't have that attention. Like, I wouldn't, that's craziness. You're just fickle like a snowflake in a storm. You just oh, flit man. around wherever you got to go. Kind of. But I do think the support piece is going to come into play. And it's funny, they're going to release, I mean, I, I, I bought the Wayfinder um, PDF. Uh, yeah, I bought whatever was it called Wayfinder Foundation PDF, of course. And the reason I did it was because one, I wanted to see what was in it, and two, I want to show Wizards of the Coast that hey, I love Eberron. I'm going to buy your shit, so everybody else buy it, so that they go, hey, people are buying this shit. We should make it. That's a good point. There's a level of completeness that comes with that stuff, right? I mean, that's one of the reasons why the realms went crazy. People loved the hell out of it. So they played it, played it, played it, played it, wanted to know more. What's beyond this mountain range? What's beyond this desert? What's over here? Where's Masika? Where's this thing? But granted, TSR back in the day when it was TSR probably crammed shit together just to try to pump stuff out. Splatbook heaven and whatever other bad uh, financial business business decisions anybody, anybody may make. But when he... There's a cool. There's almost like two ends of the spectrum we, we've talked about here when it comes to settings, right? If you pick one, like let's say, well, maybe multiple ends here to different spectrums. So let's try this here. So Midderlands, let's pick on Glen Seal. So a micro setting, very small. It's supported insofar as there's stuff for it. There's there's a fandom. It's there. There are two Kickstarters. It's really cool. It's got some really good stuff. So that's there. There's only a certain level of growth because it's small press, right? There's only certain much growth that Monkey Blood Design can crank out. So it's it's alive, but it's small. Then you take <clears throat> something like Middle Earth role playing from the old Iron Crown system that's dead, has a lot of stuff out there. There's um, um, I think there's some PDFs floating around. Uh, well, there's always PDFs floating around, but there's I've got a ton of different source books and stuff. So it's a dead thing. They're not going to make anymore, and it's cool. It's got a, it's got components to it. Then there's that stuff that's kind of in the middle ground, right? It's it's dead insofar as like Ebron was dead for a while, officially speaking, that they weren't making new books for it. 
And when a game company like Wizards resurrects it like this, even if it's just a small little little blossom, if you will, that, that pops up, it's a big damn deal because this is a larger company. It's not like a Monkey Blood Design or an Iron Crown, which no longer has even the, the rights <laughs> to publish Middle-earth anymore. But when Wizards says, hey, I'm going to reproduce Eberron, or hey, I want to take another crack at Dragonlance, or hey, I want to do a thing with Alquadim again, I'm not saying they are, but or Ravenloft or whatever, it breathes life into a favorite. And sometimes that draws people who like to game back into gaming, right? Where you can take something and grab your buddies and say, hey, boys and girls, remember when we used to play Birthright? Yeah, we had a lot of fun with that. They just re-released it. I'm making this up. They just re-released it for 5e. I really think it'd be fun to do. Spoilers. <laughs> yeah, if I had if I had that kind of insight, I'd be making a lot more money. Anyway, hey, they just reintroduced X. It, let's try it again. Wow, it's new. Yay. You know. So there's I think there's some value in that. I didn't think about that as much, but now that we're talking about it, there's there's something cool about that. Well, and I so going back to what I was going to finally say, Brett, was that Sorry. I bought I bought that PDF and really if you have and I know this is gonna sour some people maybe, but if you are an Eberron fan and you've got kind of the core rule book, everything that's in the Wayfinder Foundation uh, 170-ish, center, 170-plus pages is really all the same. Like, there isn't anything really new in there. Yes, there are some conversions that are done for 5e, but talking about Sharn City of Towers and some of the deities and things of that nature, I mean, if you're an Eberron fan, you know that stuff already. So, you know, when I bought it, I'm like, well, I'm I'm not disappointed because I'm glad it's out, but it wasn't like new stuff and it wasn't new and exciting and part of me was kind of good and some of it was kind of like well i don't know i already have this why why, why did i buy this i already have this yeah so they're gonna they're gonna update it as things go on and it's gonna be for 5e and that's great you know like christian mentioned they're gonna put the artificer class probably in there you know and the races are the big one right like the warforged um you know the kalistar Oh, yeah, Kalistar, yeah. I have no idea what that is, sorry. You dick. I'm so going <laughs> to kick your ass. Um, but those things that make it kind of a unique setting because they're not races you find in a lot of other worlds, you probably want to know, and I'm sure there's other home conversions of that stuff. It's not that big a deal, but now it's kind of like there, and that will come in handy if I wanted to bring that up and say, hey, we're going to turn this into Eberron, and here you can switch some of your races to the the ones that are inherent to Eberron, or you can stay human or whatever that looks mm-hmm. like. Shifters, right? How does a shifter work? How do dragon marks work? Because some of that stuff wasn't like you could you could finagle that yourself. Um, so dragon marks are... How do I put this? They're kind of like magical tattoos. And I mean, that's the layman's, you know, I'm probably making Christian cringe when I say that stuff. But, you know, as a game mechanic, and it gives you magical, you know, it gives you magical abilities. And so how do you do that in 5e to, to make it kind of fluid? And that's yeah, less, I mean, less work, obviously. I mean, it, right. I mean, we, I, I give Sean shit that, oh, you're too lazy. You don't want to do the work. It takes time, and there is work involved. Sometimes you can wing it, like I like I tend to do sometimes. But other times you want to put a little more thought and energy into making sure that it's 
brought over correctly or that it works the best, that you don't lose something in, in a winging it translation. So that totally makes sense. I could see why that would be attractive. You know, well, well, that's good. And the thing you mentioned, <laughs> the thing you mentioned there is the the other thing that I think, generally speaking, everybody looks for in a setting. At least everybody I talk to is the unique component. You mentioned that about Eberron. You know, is that it has unique components to it. You do not know. I do not know another setting that has some of the things that Eberron has. There probably is one out there. I'm just totally not aware of it. But you're looking for something that's unique, and I think that's kind of one of the things that first grabs you. You know, Warforged. Lightning rails, all that stuff is just unique enough. Like, huh? That's Man- different. Manifest zones. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah, it's freaking cool, Brett. Well, I'll tell you what, man. I think we beat this one enough. I'm, I'm serious when I say this. That it, it's interesting sometimes to me to think about why do I like something? What am I looking for? Because you you um, <clears throat> you start looking at different things. You look at your game collection. Or, you know, to, oh, I really like this. Why do you like it? And somebody can, you can always say, well, I just do, and that's why, and I don't owe you a fucking explanation at all, Brad. Shut the hell up. But it's interesting to me to figure out kind of why I like something or think about it on those terms, simply because then, one, quite frankly, it saves me money. Because I'll start looking at another campaign setting and go, wow, that one looks really cool. And if I stop and think about it, what about this is drawing me to it? Oh, it's just like, just like, just like, just like, I already have that. Why am I buying this again? Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, Brett, this is the internal dialogue that I have with myself. Is hey, this is just like Eberron, if I were to say that. Well, then what the fuck? If I already have Eberron, why would I buy this other thing that's just like it? I don't need this other thing. So, like I say, sometimes I use it just simply to save myself some cash so I don't go buy another setting that's just like something I already have. Or that, um, you know, what am I looking for? And I think for me, a lot of it is I don't mind a do-it-yourself level of adventure building and so on. I don't care if it has tons of support, and I know that's a key for some people. You know, like for Sean, if you want to have a lot of pre-published adventures or Adventures League stuff and that type of regular input from the creator to help um, to help you build your world or that that's what you key off of, um, that, that might, be a, might be a reason why you would or wouldn't want to grab under setting. So... Anyway, short version. Sean and I are very interested to hear what you, ladies and gentlemen, uh, have to say and what you think. What what makes you want a setting? What makes you um, think it's really cool? And what do you kind of what are you looking for? And what don't you like? What is what have you seen that's been overdone? That's a piece of Sean and I didn't even get to. Those things that settings do or setting presentations that drive you fucking bananas. So anyway, let us know. And uh, we good, Sean? Yeah, man. All right, let's die roll. Right, I roll. All right, man. What you got, Brett? I got one. I don't know if you do. You remember the old classic high tech board game called Dark Tower? I I do, and I don't remember. I think I played it once. So, circle circular board. In the center of it is this black plastic tower. Takes like C or D batteries. Has these little plastic keys on it, and you move your character from region to region. You hit something, brigands or dragon attack or whatever would happen. Had these weird ass <laughs> sounds. Anyway, so restoration—they're um, going to do it again. I think there's going to be uh, there. There might be a Kickstarter. I don't know. Something's coming, but anyway, it's bring out it there. back. It's going to happen. Yeah. Something's going to happen. So it looks like the Gloomhaven and Risk Legacy designers want to are going to oversee. I should say, will oversee the return to Dark Tower. So 
Anyhow, little uh, link in the show notes. This may be old news to some, but I thought uh, I had so much fun playing this back in the day. Orson Welles, back in 1981, did the uh, did a commercial for this. It's in the show notes. Just one of those one of those little neat bits to think about. So anyhow, that was the one I had. I thought that was pretty cool. I had to share it. Link in the show notes, as I say. Sean, over to you, sir. All right. I want to congratulate all the any 2018 any Award winners, uh, specifically Gnome Stew and some friends of ours over there that write for that, including Angela. Exactly. And Jerry Rasher. We did way too many to name, but you know who you are. Congratulations. They got for best blog, Gold Any. Um, Glenn Seal and Edwin Nagy for Midterlands. For best cartography, they got gold there. And Mr. Todd. Damn, those are damn good maps, gentlemen. Yeah. So well done. Well done yeah. indeed. And so, and then Todd Crapper for High Plains Samurai Legends for best free RPG. Very cool. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, we want to also thank uh, Brett. I want to thank you. Well, thanks, man. Why? What yeah. did I do? Because you I won. Do? You won, or you are part of winning the. The Diana Jones Award, man, because they are they awarded the Diana Jones Award to actual play. Wow, I'm on an actual play. Wow, you are a Diana Jones Award winner, man. So my my uh, award is is in the mail, or how, how does this work? Well, you know, uh, I'm gonna pass along to you Matt Forbeck's email. <laughs> um, he may be able to answer that for you. I'm sure it's like m 4 back at <laughs> da, 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 Gmail. Da, da, da. I don't know. What I don't know what it is. I don't know. What oh, it is. funny. Yes, but uh, nonetheless, uh, so some people have kind of ribbed on that to include yours truly. Uh, I think so. I think I, you know, the so don't get me wrong. I think the message is good. I think the message is clear. But giving an award to a movement is a bit kind of wacky. Like he they. Brett or um, Matt Forbeck runs the Diana Jones Award, and and frankly, some of those folks could have actually given it to like, I don't know, Geek and Sundry or whatever, like One Shot RPG podcast for promoting actual plays and getting people into the hobby. I think we actually need an award for that, like somebody who has contributed to the hobby. You take an environment like the Gauntlet, right? And oh, the Gauntlet's a good one. Yeah, absolutely. yeah. For God's sake, the Gauntlet. Cordova. Oh yeah. God, Cordova and the and the the folks over there they run an amazing amazing podcast. And the way that they set up their games and how people play play them and so on, it's really really cool. And I think yeah, actual play is becoming a really cool way for people to learn what D and D and. Uh, indie game. Every game is about. It. I just I say D and D because it's the the you know eight hundred pound gorilla. But it's a really good way for people to learn or get into it or learn about them just in theory. So I, I think right. you're right. It's it's worth. It's almost worth saying. Hey, we hit the. Uh, we gave the movement a little props. Next year, let's actually make the movement a category. Yeah, you know, right. You know, for their contribution to the hobby. We are giving them an honorary award, whatever for yeah their best you know their contribution you know whatever it could be roll twenty or whatever it could be a YouTuber or something that just for promoting the hobby in in a good light um, in in a positive way we want to give this award to whoever cool. I mean it. I just think that if you do it by I think there was another like somebody mentioned Gen Con winning yeah last year, year last year Gen Con won. 
Which I think is okay. Like I think Gen Con and and I mean it's a little more tangible, right? Because you can mm-hmm. award it to the CEO and they could put it in their trophy case and say, hey, you know, we got this award and being recognized. But as a movement, like it's why weren't you there, Brett, to receive I, it? I, I, I didn't know I was up for one. Well, it was <laughs> it, it was announced like the the categories. Like yeah, I didn't I, the nominees. I, I, I didn't think it was real. I don't know, man. Anyway, interesting. <sighs> Anyways. All right, what else you got? So if you're actual playing, hey, congratulations. Goddamn right. All right. Uh, Want to find a game, game events, uh, and and, a, and players? Uh, I saw this. I found this on, I think it was a sponsor for, was it the Geek? Was it the Gen Con? Oh, maybe it was, maybe it was the Ennies? I don't know. They sponsored an event. I don't know if it was the live play from Gen Con. I was watching over the weekend, but igamefor.com. I am, I'm sorry, I am game4.com. So it's a mobile app and on Android and iOS, and I was just wondering if anybody used it. Yeah, this is when you can find board gamers, role players, collectible card gamers, war gamers, basically searching local game events in the app, finding gamers in your area. Interesting. Huh. Yeah. So. We've, you and I have talked about this for a while. Like somebody somewhere is going to have the time and energy and build an app to help find people like this. Well, Roll for Guild is kind of like that, but I don't I don't know how much down the rabbit hole they've gotten to. I have to check out their app and see where how far they are. Interesting. Um, they support they support the show. So, um, Trezzy and the gang. Um, and the last one I'm going to put out there, Mike Merles. Confirms on Twitter. You, you can look at this tweet out there, ladies and gentlemen. Um, that railroading quote has gotten such a bad rap. Dot dot dot. So what do you tell? I mean, he, you know, this railroading thing isn't all such a bad thing. I think it's how it's presented. Is kind of what he's going at. And I mean, don't take it from me. I mean, Mike's been around a little while. If you're not familiar with Mike, he kind of I don't know has something to do with his D and D game out there. I think he knows a thing or two about gaming. But his whole point was if you put somebody and we've brought this up on the show, if you say, Okay, I'm gonna we're gonna make this a complete sandbox, roll up characters, you're in a town, go. You're gonna have character you're gonna have players that are gonna be like, um, I don't know, I walk down the street, all right, see a bar. Okay, I go in. Like there's just too much Aimless drifting. Aimless drifting. So Mike kind of says, hey, you know what? This railroading thing is is not really that bad. Quote, so, too much choice is an empty wasteland, unquote. That's what he said. See, ladies and gentlemen. Nice. I'll actually, just, I read I read this tweet when it came out. I'm like, oh, my God. He and Sean must have been talking. But I read through it. It's actually really, it's really well thought out, and I like the, uh, I like the, uh, the points he makes. So it's, good. it's a good tweet. Stream I'm not. I'm not saying I influence Mike in any way, shape, or form. But he does read your mail. Okay, <laughs> it's, it's very, very timely. <laughs> oh, what do we got here, uh, listener, uh, Mr. Pemberfoot, the healing Mr. Pemberfoot, uh, lets us know about Adequate Commoner by J.M. Perkins, a third-party Pathfinder supplement setting that uh, he mentions and relishes that low-leveled, scared-to-die feel. We'll drive through affiliate link there for you, so you can take a look at that sucker. Thank you, Mr. Pemberfoot. Yeah. Yeah. All right. What are we talking about next week, Brett? So I had a conversation with a couple of my gamers in my home group, and one of the things that came up was 
character advancement, and options within the game system itself. Hmm. And why they like certain games. And I'm like, oh my god, that is horribly crunchy. Why would you like that? And they laid it out for me. So I'm going to put together some notes and uh, I'll lay it on Sean and we'll see where we go with it. Very interesting. I will be interested to find out what I will actually say to that topic. Sean's just shocked to have a topic a week ahead of time. Actually, kind of like that, Brett. I'm trying. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for tuning in, everybody. We appreciate it. I'm Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night and good game and all.